Changing the world of work isn't about tactics. It's not about meetings or metrics. It isn't about the benefits, perks, or opportunities. It's about being brave enough to put love first. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So as leaders, we're the ones who have to make it happen. This is the Love in Action Podcast. And here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to the show. If you're tuning in for the first time, glad you're here. I wanted to share with you the purpose of this podcast, since this is only the, well, the second full episode and the third time that you're hearing me talk here. If you're wondering about the title, no, this is not a religious podcast, and I'm not going to talk about some touchy-feely pop psychology. This is a business podcast. It's a leadership podcast in the corporate or entrepreneurial sense. And we have one core purpose here. Now, we know that the most powerful force in the world is love. And what I found is that in truly human work cultures that are profitable and sustainable and engaged, you know, where people don't want to leave. And so the employee retention rate is extremely high. Leaders at every level I found display what I call love in action. So love in this sense, it's a verb. It's not a squishy feeling. It's backed by action. So in high-performing work cultures of care and belonging and trust, as opposed to the toxic work cultures of fear and control and secrecy and micromanagement, leaders model love in action. So what we're finding in both the literature and in the hallways of corporate America is that actionable love shown in how employees are treated and cared for, it's been proven to raise performance. It's been proven to raise employee engagement levels. But here's the thing, guys. Rarely do scholars and thought leaders and executives, or the media especially, refer to these company cultures as laying on a foundation of love. Now, since I interview a lot of leaders of some of the biggest brands in the world, what I'm hearing them tell me is that love and action impacts their businesses. Now, they may not call it that. They may call it care or respect or inclusion or empathy. But we know that these virtues are all principles of love. So then I thought, well, I need to bring these stories to life so people can listen to them and not just read about them. And so here we are. And today, you get to experience firsthand more evidence of leaders who lead through actionable and practical love for competitive advantage. So here's what's coming up for you. Today's guest is Howard Behar. Now, if you know Howard Schultz, the iconic founder of Starbucks, you should know Howard Behar. He worked alongside Schultz when Schultz was the CEO and Behar was the president of Starbucks International. So under Behar's leadership, he grew Starbucks from 28 stores to over 15,000 stores spanning five continents. And this is kind of cool, despite Starbucks being the coffee company that we all know and love. Behar said that he never viewed it as such, which is a difference of opinion that he had with Howard Schultz. So Behar is quoted as saying, we weren't in the coffee business serving people. We were in the people business serving coffee. And then he adds, I don't care what you do in life. It's always about serving another human being. 
So that speaks to the servant leadership model that Howard Behar implemented at Starbucks. And we talk in length about that. So what's Behar doing nowadays? Well, he retired from Starbucks in 2009, and now he travels the world speaking to leaders, corporations, and students. And he's written two books. It's not about the coffee. And his most recent, The Magic Cup, a business parable about a leader, a team, and the power of putting people and values first. And this is where we begin our conversation today. So I really dig into this book and we get some really valuable life lessons from it. Howard also admitted having written this book during a time when he was angry and disappointed at some of the things that were happening at Starbucks. So I really appreciated his raw honesty. So let's dive in. Here's my conversation with Howard Behar. Howard, I want to dive straight into the Magic Cup. Now, it's an interesting book. It it has a good versus evil theme. And even though it's a business parable, it it doesn't read like one. People turn into giant spiders and beasts. It's like Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, you know? So that's that's one of the compelling parts of the book. Tell us the core message of this book. Well, the core message of this book is that leadership has many forms and sometimes there can be bad leadership. And in the journey of trying to get to good leadership or servant leadership, there's lots of holes in the ground that you can fall into if you're not careful. And you really have to, as a leader, you really have to be focused on what your values are and then try to live up to those values no matter what your fears are. And no matter whether or not, you know, you might have a failure, you've got to get back on track. So it's really about that. It's about being a good leader and overcoming your own fears and overcome, you know, that, that aren't real. In the book, you know, that you see the spider. I mean, the spider is not real. The spider is your fears, right? So I thought it was an interesting book. Yeah, the book came for me out of kind of at the beginning out of anger. I was disappointed and anger and disappointment. I was kind of, you know, angry at some things that happened at Starbucks and disappointed in, in what we had done. And But finally, over time, the, that anger and disappointment gave way to hope and to trying to figure out a way to put into words what my experiences were and how they were overcome. Mm. So there's two characters in the story. And uh, the, the main character is Vince Steadfast, and he's the good right. guy. Yeah. He's a, a new CEO and hired by this, this large and reputable company. And he's the guy that kind of holds the team together through those values, right? Right. And, and there's a guy named Reed Hoggett, and he is this over-the-top, greedy COO and clearly has a self-serving agenda. So my question is, you know, I'm thinking, in reality, have you experienced the steadfast and the Hoggett in your previous corporate life? Oh, absolutely. They're everywhere. Mm. And that doesn't mean they're the majority. They're not, but they're there. And you always have to be aware. And sometimes they're not the COO. Sometimes they're somewhere else in the organization. Sometimes they're the CEO. You just don't know. Mm. And But they're there. And it's that ability to figure out how you work around them, you know, and how you make change, even though you have that going on. Hmm. So let's go back to, well, metaphorically, you have this magic cup, which is titled with a book, but how did you come up with the idea of this cup that uh, Steadfast holds? And through every stage of the book, a new value is revealed to him 
through the magic cup. What's the symbolism behind this cup idea? Well, one thing is, of course, is a cup of coffee, right? Because I came out of Starbucks and so this cup. And I had this in a speech that I gave. I talked about that, you know, we all have a magic cup. And the question is, do we listen to it or not? And that magic cup is always talking to us. You know, it's many times it's just the voices that sit on our shoulders. And the magic cup is always exposing to us thoughts and ideas. And do we accept them? Do we evaluate them? Or do we just ignore them? Mm. And, you know, that's part of life. It's part of the journey of life. And so, you know, that magic cup kind of had a life of its own. And the elixir that was in it, you know, as it would rise and fall, you know, and the idea that we choose in life what to fill our cup with. The cup represents life, so to speak, Mm. you know, the wholeness of life. And we can choose what we fill that cup with. We can Mm. choose to fill it with greed and ambition, you know, more, 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 new cars, new watches, new this, new that. And the idea that we're going to be satisfied and feel whole when that happens. But we find out after a while, after living long enough, that no matter how many material things you put in that cup or put in your life, there's only so much room for material things. You can only wear so many watches. You know, you don't wear more than one watch in a day. You don't drive more than one car in a day. And after a while, those things become less meaningful to you. And so there's only so much room for those. So that means there's room for a lot of other things. You know, there's room for things that you do to help others. There's room for greed. There's group for blind ambition and you have to decide what you're going to fill your cup with. Mm. That's why I love this one quote from the book that he finds out that this is kind of his treasure. And there's a quote that says, always keep your cup full and your life will overflow with joy. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Full with the right things. Yeah. Yes. So Howard, before I transition to the next set of questions, what do you want people to walk away with here when they read this book, The Magic Cup? That you can change from bad to good. When you find evil, so to speak, you have the ability to turn that evil into good. And you have to be able to trust yourself and you have to be able to trust the people that you're working with. Because in the book, if you remember, when he had doubts, his people sometimes would step in and encourage him. Mm and say, you can do this. Mm-hmm. We're here with you. And so you got to be able to trust your people. So it's really that. It's watching what you put into your life, because when you put bad things into your life, that's what you get out of it. Put good things, put love into your life, helping others into your life, you'll get that right back. And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can't have material things. My argument wasn't against material things. My argument was about just understand that your life really only has so much room for material things and you can't satisfy your life. You can't be a whole person with just material things in your life. Mm, Profound. So I want to switch gears to the topic that is dear to you and me, and that's servant leadership. Now it's becoming such a, almost an overused buzzword now in the business lexicon. Like everything does after a while. And it seems like, uh, you know, I hear variations of servant leadership, and sometimes I see people misusing the term, thinking that it's, yeah. some, it's not really <laughs> what it is. Yeah. But if you walked out of a spaceship and you're just hearing the term servant leadership for the first time, how would you personally describe it? Well, the primary responsibility in life, no matter what we do, is to serve others. And sometimes leaders forget that. And the goal should be of any leader to help his or her people achieve what they 
want in their lives. And in so doing, have the people help you achieve what you want in your organization. But you have to serve your people first. You can't go in as a leader and expect to be served first. You have to serve your people first. You have to give love before you get love. You have to give trust before you get trust. And that's what this is primarily about. The understanding that by serving your people, helping them learn, helping them grow, helping them achieve their goals in life, they will do anything to help you. Hmm. But if you're just a taker, if you just want to be served, trust me, they will not do that. They might do it for a little bit of time, only because of fear, but they won't do it for the long term. So what are some misconceptions about servant leadership? I mean, what's the fear behind? That it's soft, that servant leadership is that, well, it's just about being nice. It's anything but that. It doesn't mean you're not nice, but, you know, it gets confused with, well, you really can't have direct conversations with people. You can't hold people accountable for performance. Servant leadership is about accountability. It is about holding people and yourself accountable for performance, but it's doing it in a way that builds people up, not tears people down. It's doing it in a way that serves people, not having them serve you. That's the biggest misconception. And what happens sometimes in organizations that go down the servant leadership track, they become non-accountable organizations. You know, people say, well, you can't hold me accountable for that. That's not being a servant leader. You're supposed to be nice to me. That's not at all what it is. Yes, it is about being nice and respectful, but more importantly, it's about having loving, caring, direct conversations and holding each other accountable and achieving results. It's about performance. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me is that, you know, I banged the drum of servant leadership and I have convincing research that proves that it's not soft. And yet I still see people resisting the idea at the highest levels of an organization. Oh, yeah. and, and so I'm wondering if there's something else that the fear is maybe, um, I don't know if it's personality driven or it's, you know, somebody carrying emotional baggage from their previous roles or whatever it is. But I was, I've been exploring the concept of shame and having this fear of maybe that you're going to fail under any kind of other leadership model that you're not familiar with. Does that resonate at all, the shame? Yeah, I think, sure. I think that's absolutely, that's part of it. I think it also has to do with, as we're growing up, you know, we're not always led by servant leaders, even our parents, or certainly our teachers. Mm. As you remember as a child, you're about 11 months old and you're in the living room and your mother is kind of in the kitchen or something like that. And, and she just took an eye off you for a minute and you look and there's a cocktail table in the middle of the living room. And at the middle of that cocktail table is a crystal vase with some beautiful flowers and a bright colored flowers. And you look at that and man, your little hands and knees just are trying to get to that thing as fast as you can get, right? <laughs> And you get there and you get on your knees and your little arms kind of just pull you up, right? And you're reaching across that table, reaching out to grab onto that vase. And all of a sudden from the back of the room, says, no, don't touch that, right? Yeah. In whatever way. And that begins the journey of no, mm. which is anything but being a servant leader, you know? And so we grow up with that. Our teachers tell us, no, we can't. Our coaches tell them that we know we can't. Our parents tell us, no. Yes. And so we think that's the model. Hmm. You know, it, we call it autocratic leadership. Do it my way. 
And so that begins our process. And so it's our journey to get around that, to become socially emotional mature, have social emotional maturity, and being a loving, caring person, understand that no is not the most powerful word in the English language. It's yes. And Mm. servant leadership is the language of yes. Wow. Wow. I know that um, you have countless stories probably from your uh, Starbucks days. Is there one, Howard, that just stands out to this day that you can say, yeah, that's the best example of servant leadership? Oh, God. There's so many. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'll give you one that had to do with a customer that we had, a human being, a guy named Jim. And Jim was a big guy, an ex-football player, and he was retired. He was living in a nursing home across the street from one of our stores in California. And every day, Jim would come into the store, and he'd order a short drip coffee, black, and a blueberry muffin. And, you know, after a while, the people would knew to save him a blueberry muffin in case he came in a little bit late. And so Jim would have conversations with all the baristas and with all the customers that were in the store. You know, he'd sit there for an hour because he was kind of lonely. You know, he didn't have people to hang out with, you know, except in the nursing home. And he loved the interaction between all the people in the Starbucks store. You know, it's a third place. You know, it's about a community and about family. And so every day when he'd get this cup or coffee or, or the muffin, there'd always be a little message on it. Sometimes it was just be two words. He loved the Steelers. And sometimes they'd write the Steelers suck. You know, the barista would write that on the cup and he'd laugh, you know, or sometimes they'd write, we love you, Jim, or Jim, you're a great guy or whatever it was. I mean, all different kinds of messages. And Jim loved those things and the people loved doing it for him. And one day at two o'clock arrives, no Jim, three o'clock arrives, no Jim. And one of the baristas is, I'm going to take the cup of coffee and the muffin over to Jim. I don't know where he is. So he walks across the street with his cup of coffee and the muffin, and he goes up to the front desk, and he asks, where's Jim? And the woman at the front desk, tear came down her face, and she said, I'm sorry to tell you, but Jim passed away in his sleep last night. Mm. And so he went back to the store, and and he told everybody, and everybody was sad, and you know, because he was an important part of their family. He wasn't a customer. He was a human being. Mm. And so the next day, one of Jim's kids came into the Starbucks store and went to the manager and said, you know, Jim loved all you guys, you know, and I can't thank you enough for what you did for my father. And he also said, would it be possible if you guys would come to the funeral tomorrow? I don't know how you all would do it, but I know Jim would really have appreciated if you were there and we certainly would. And so the store manager figured out a way to do it. And the next day, all the team, all the baristas, the store managers, the assistant managers, all showed up. They got replacements for them for the couple hours they were going to be gone. And as they walked through the funeral home door where the ceremony service was going to be, here were three big round tables. You know those tables when you go to a big dinner meeting and they have yeah. those round tables that every eight or ten people are sitting around? On the mm-hmm. top of the tables, there was filled with every bag and every cup that they had written little messages to Jim on. Hmm. And, you know, they didn't realize how important those messages were. But when you think about it, right, it's the little things that we do for people. They were being servant leaders to Jim. They were serving Jim, not in the sense of a customer, but of being a human being. And it's that idea that we do. That was an act of love and kindness. And that's what servant leadership is about, is love and kindness. Doesn't mean that Jim didn't have to pay for his coffee. 
didn't mean that our people didn't have to have a hot cup of coffee and have the muffin warm. They had to perform. Both sides had to perform. But the interactions were always loving and kind on both sides. Hmm. Wow. What a great story. I want to switch gears. You've already dropped the word love in in our conversation several times. So I want to transition to this radical idea of bringing more love to the workplace because it really It's off-putting. It rubs people the wrong way. They immediately, yeah. immediately think of feelings instead of the action behind the word, the verb, love. You know, yeah. In this conversation, may even make some HR people nervous that we're bringing up love in a business context. But in the research that I've dug up over the last 10, 15 years, I'm finding that the more employees are treated with care and kindness, you're going to see better performance, more loyalty and commitment and even higher employee engagement scores. And I got to bring up Ken Blanchard. He puts it like this. He says, servant leadership is loving action. Howard, is there really such a place for love in a transactional business setting? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, when we talk about love here, we're not talking about the love of loving your wife or your kids, so to speak. We're talking about the love that we give to all human beings because they're a human being. Mm. And we don't use that word enough. I mean, I loved my people. You know, again, not in the same way that, of course, that I love my family, although close. But it was really love because they were human beings trying to live a life, accomplish the things that they wanted in their life, and they deserved love and respect. And that's the same way when we see people just as transactions, you know, when we see as customers, then that's what they become. They become these not objects of love and caring, they become objects of what will they give me? Hmm. What can I get from them? When you see your employees as just people to get things done for you, then you don't see them with love. You see them as, you know, servants of people that are just there to get you what you want. Hmm. But when you see them with love and have love for them in your heart, then you have to see them as human beings and understand and care about their needs. Interesting. I want to flip the coin a little bit and talk about fear, which, well, some people would say it's the opposite of, well, I don't know, that's debatable to me. But why do people lead by fear in the workplace instead of care and love when the evidence is so clear that it leads to results? Most likely because they've never been loved, really loved. It's Hmm. most likely because that's how they've been treated. And that's the message that they've learned, that it's yelling and screaming at people disciplining people all the time, blaming people. They believe that that's what gets people motivated. That if they can create fear in their team, then their people will produce results. And you know something? It happens short term. It can happen short term. You can get a result. Over the long term, impossible. Hmm. Then when you do that, when you lead that way, then you know what? You have to start putting, so to speak, get guns and ammunition. And you got to... uh, start putting walls up and create bars around, you know what I mean? All the negative things that you don't want. You have to be in the penalty phase. And they don't give you their hearts and their souls. Hmm. So in a sense, it's modeling that has been really passed down generationally. Is that Yeah, what well, it can be done. Yeah, well, that's what happens. It hmm. gets passed down not only generationally, but people go to work for somebody and they get used to that leadership style and they think that's the appropriate way to act. Yeah. And it's not. And and they wouldn't want to be treated that way. Although, uh, amazingly enough, there are some that do. That There are some people that just respond to abuse. 
Mm. And boy, you don't want those people around. <laughs> they destroy organizations. Mm. So what do you feel is a starting point to change fear-based workplaces to caring work cultures that, you know, that promote love as a business value? I mean, what's the first step here? A leader. Well, leadership has to want to, if they're not that, they have a huge desire to become a servant leader. Mm. And they have to see the difference between the two. And they have to become believers over time. You know, it doesn't mean that you start, you know, and the next day you're a servant leader. It's not the way it works. You know, you have to practice. You have to allow your people to hold yourself, hold you accountable, and you have to hold yourself accountable. But it's all about leadership. You got to change yourself first before you can possibly think about changing an organization. Mm. Well, in wrapping up, and I'm banging my head against the wall that it's come to this point because I wish we could spend two hours talking because you're so full of wisdom. But what's the single best piece of advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners today? Know who you are, right? Know what your values are. Live your life by those values. And understand that in order to have a productive, fulfilling life, you have to learn to serve yourself first and then serve others. And when I say self first, I'm not talking about being greedy. I'm telling you, you got to be okay with you. If you're not okay with you, it's very difficult to be okay with others. But it's understanding who you are and then understanding who you want to be if you want to change. And then what's the gap and what do you got to do to fill that gap? Mm. Howard, is there anything that's tugging at your heart that we have not discussed? Well, you know, what's tugging at my heart is I want everybody that's listening to these, and I'm not, I hope I'm not being political here, but I understand that the leadership we are experiencing today, forget about policy and things that are getting done. I'm not talking about policy or whether you agree or disagree, but the kind of leadership we're experiencing today in this country is going to kill us. Mm. It's going to destroy us. And, you know, you can't abuse people and expect a people to not abuse back. And if you have a, everybody abusing each other, what do you get? You get anarchy. And we can't live like that. And so we can't allow the kind of abusive leadership or autocratic leadership to take hold and assume that that's acceptable. Mm. Again, that's not about policies or things like that. It's about how we do things, how we get policies. There's not one thing we want to do in our leadership lives that we can't do by caring about others, by loving others and treating others with respect and dignity. Not one thing. Hmm. Even if you have a team that disagrees with you about some decision you want to make, you can still do it with respect and dignity and love in your heart. You know, once in a while, I've had to pull rank and say, you know, this is my decision. I appreciate all your inputs and I thank you for that, but I hope you understand that somebody has to make this decision and I'm going to make this decision and I hope you'll all get on board, Mm. you know, but very seldom did I have to do that because I was trying to get the other people to make the decisions, not me, but sometimes I did. I had to do that, but I did it with love in my heart and with caring and respect. Mm. Well, he is Howard Behar and his latest book is The Magic Cup. A business parable about a leader, a team, and the power of putting people and values first. Howard, it's been a pleasure. And how can people connect with you if, if they want to read your books or book you for well, engagement? 
They can go on my website, howardbihar.com, or they can send me an email, hb at howardbihar.com. And I'm a little slow at answering my emails, but I always get to it. <laughs> it's been a pleasure and an honor to speak with you, sir. And I appreciate your time. Okay. All right. Great, Marcel. Thank you. There's a dramatic shift taking place in workplaces around the world. It's a rapidly growing movement called the Humans First Club. Change is happening bigger and faster than any time in history. For business to flourish through this dynamic time, it's time to trash the old school command and control mindset and put people at the center of business. It's time to put humans first. Live events with the growing online community is driving change throughout the globe. It's time for your voice, your ideas for a brighter future. Join us now at humansfirst.club. That's humansfirst.club. Your time has come. You belong here. Hey guys, it's Marcel again. I hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with Howard Behar. As I always do, I want to give you my three key takeaways from this conversation. So here we go. Takeaway one, he says, watch what you put into your life. So when you put bad things into your life, that's what you're going to get out of it. Put good things, put love into your life, help others. You're going to get that right back. So my question to you is, what kind of things are you putting into your life? Takeaway two, the goal of any leader is to help his or her people achieve what they want in their lives. And in so doing, have the people that work for you help you achieve what you want in your organization. (laughs) Did you get that? It's so indicative of love in action and how this translates to results. So you help your people with their personal and professional goals. And of course, they'll naturally, intrinsically help you achieve your business goals. But here's the thing. You have to serve first if you're a leader. It starts with the leader having the mindset to serve first. And Howard said this, you have to give love before you get love. And my last takeaway, we just don't use the word love enough. Howard says he loved his Starbucks employees and they deserved love and respect. So when we see people as just transactions, you know, as a means to an end, we see them as objects, as servants just to get us what we want. And there's no value in that. But when we see your people with love, you see them as human beings. And so you begin to care about their needs. And this, which really blew me away, I asked him, why do people lead by fear instead of love? And he said, because those leaders have never been loved. So before I go, I want to remind you of a couple of things. You can find the show notes for every episode of the Love in Action podcast at marcelschwantes.com. Then click on the podcast tab. And if you'd like to get weekly information from me filled with my best thought leadership on inc.com, podcast alerts, and my thoughts on love in action and servant leadership and workplace cultures, you can go to the homepage, marcelschwantes.com and subscribe. Next week, Join me in a conversation with Rich Sheridan, CEO of Menlo Innovations and the author of Joy Inc. and Chief Joy Officer. See you next time. Thanks for joining us on the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed this show and want to help get the word out, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.